0: Welcome to the Building Wealth Through Commercial Real Estate Podcast, where we will discuss with industry experts on how to create wealth and build passive income from apartment buildings, self-storage, mobile home parks, and much more. Here is your host, Jonathan Way. Welcome to the Building Wealth Through Commercial Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Way, and I'm the founder of Grayson Capital Group, my investment firm. If you're interested in passively investing with us, please visit graystonecapgroup.com and join our Investor Network. Okay, and now on to the show. Hey, Mark, welcome to the show. Jonathan, thanks for having me. Great, great. Thank you. Uh, do you want to share also your background uh, and how you um, got started into this uh, self-storage business?
1: Yeah, so I got started in self-storage, honestly, through investing. You know, I was looking for places to uh, invest my you know the money that i had accumulated through my job and, um, you know, frankly, I was chasing multifamily. I had been heavily invested in multifamily, had come from that space and was um, learning more about diversification and the importance of having, uh, you know, different asset classes beyond just multifamily. So, you know, I actually came to Hearthfire as, as an LP originally, just uh, someone who was looking to invest and fell in love with self storage, loved, you know, the, the low operating expense ratios and just loved the, the business of it. And um, it's been history ever since.
0: Wonderful, wonderful. I also love self-storage and I love the low expense ratio. That's, that's wonderful. And I was good for multifamily, so similar background, similar paths. So, um, so tell us, uh, today we want to talk about, I guess, um, finding good people on the team, finding the right, I guess, the operations, operational excellence. So tell us, how, how do you, in, in, in your company, find good talent, retain them, and also in, in your operations, how does that work in, in your company?
1: Yeah, so within our company, um, we came together pretty organically. And what we realized is there's it all comes down to your core values. And a lot of companies, you know, I think it's like some corporate initiative that starts out and starts as something that everyone feels like it's forced upon them. But w- what I've really come to find is that the core values are really what's left when you look at who's still with your company over an extended period of time and who has, hasn't made it. When you, when you really boil it down to brass tacks, the, per- the person that's left with your company, they embody some common trait or, or some common set of traits. And, and honestly, when you dig deep enough, that's really how you get to your core values.
0: Great, great. So great common core values, the fundamental integrity, trust, hard work. And we all, we all have the same like-minded thinking. And that's how your team will grow and will help you to support each other. And I guess in your operations, um, how is it structured? How is it, uh, is like, do you just do certain part? And so does, how is that structured?
1: Yeah, so in our operations, I mean, I do the vast majority of the investor, you know, one-on-one communications, and I, I am responsible for handling the capital raise. Um, as far as the, um, you know, the other members of our team, you know, we have it set up in operations, we have it set up in acquisitions, and then you know the capital, and then the compliance side. That's really our, our four. I'm going to say silos, if you will, within our company right now. I guess the fifth one would be development and and, and expansion.
0: Okay. Okay. Great. Great. I know you guys grown uh, leaps and bounds. Initially, it was only like a, a husband and wife, right? Corinne mm-hmm. and her husband. And then I know you guys acquired a large portfolio in Indiana, as I, I remember we talked and we on the on the event. And uh, recently, you had another acquisition, right? Is that correct?
1: Yeah, we're in the process right now. Closing one um, just on the Indiana Illinois border. Mm-hmm. Um, another facility there. Yep. How
0: many how many units is this one? This Indiana facility. Uh,
1: so this one's about thirty one thousand square feet. Um, you know, from a storage perspective, I always look at it as square footage as less, less on the unit count, just depending upon the unit mix, the sizing, mm-hmm. but uh, this one's 31,000. Then we're going to do a 30, 34,000 square foot expansion. We're excited about it.
0: Okay. Great. That's a wonderful congratulations on that. Thank you. Um, great. So, so I guess, um, I know your expertise is, is raising capital. What advice would you say in, in your aspect that you learn over the years, what's the best ways to, I guess, raise capital for self-storage?
1: So with respect to raising capital, I think everyone, people have this misconception around what raising capital actually is. I mean, it's really, it all centers on trust. It, it, that's the fundamental truth. And I think so many people look at it from the standpoint that they're gonna take you know a pitch deck or a spreadsheet and that's going to convince somebody to invest with you because people are gonna buy a return set. And at the end of the day, you could have, you could make a spreadsheet say whatever you want it to say on paper. I mean that, that's not hard. Um, but what is hard is finding someone that when things don't go as you think they should or as the plan suggests that it should, that they're going to stick to the to the plan. They're going to get resourceful. They're going to figure out a way through. You know when it gets bumpy. And I think that that's really what raising capital is about: is finding someone who has that solid moral fiber, that has a, a you know a solid track record. Of performance and somebody who you know has that grit and that determination to figure out a way through the storm uh, when things don't go as planned.
0: Yes, yes, yeah. We need that. We need that. That that sort of motivation, determination, because you know life is not straight a straight line. And so it goes up and down, and there's always storms along the way. And uh, and sometimes you don't for, you don't foresee like COVID nineteen. I'm sure no one foresaw that pandemic, right? That's kind of out out of nowhere. Um, so, and now we have the war in Ukraine and all this inflations and in, in rising interest rates, which is kind of like a, a pressure on, on us, right? And operators because of the, the debt ratio, right? Debt service ratio and, and you're underwriting because the more interest rate it goes up, the, the difficult, more, you know, you have a pressure on the underwriting. That's great. Well, that's great. I li- like how you do that. And now do you, um, do you like, like how do you meet your people Do you go to events? How do you, how do you find your, your investors?
1: So a lot of our investors have really been found through, you know, personal networks. I mean, it starts with a personal network. I'm always leery, you know, some a lot of syndication groups are, you know, just marketing machines, and they spend more of their time, energy, and efforts on their marketing funnels than I think they do on the operations of the facilities. Yeah. So I'm always leery of someone who has a really robust marketing system. I'm, I'm always, you know, I found the best operators aren't the best. I'm going to say marketers, so to speak. So when we find our people, a lot of it's just like, like I said, building that trust over the years, that was these are people that we invested together with in other projects. Okay. These are people that, that are you know, from groups that we're involved in that we've been in for you know three, four, five years where we've been able to develop that trust and, and, and display the follow-through of who we are as people. When we say we're going to do something, we commit to it, and we make good on our word. And I think that's really the key.
0: I see. I see. Because they believe in you as the operator more than the deal itself as long as you you can do things and control it they better trust you in your hands
1: effectively i mean the deal still has to stand on its own two feet right you can't go and say hey i really like you as a person and i trust you but this deal stinks well if the deal stinks the deal stinks you can't change that so you know there's two components you got to trust the operator and you have to trust the 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 deal itself you got to believe in the fundamentals of of the business case for the deal Mm -hmm. so i think bottom line you know when, when looking for investors we started super organic and what happens is it just ripples out you know you you build that core you and you serve that core and you continue to serve them you know even now as we continue to go two and three and four ripples out, we're still really wildly fanatical about serving our core clients and and making sure that they feel appreciated because without those people giving us that start, we'd never be where we are
0: yes yes that's that's a very important that's important important lesson to my audience I get to always appreciate serve your people who, especially initially start your first deal, who believed in you and continuing to serve and show them that you are, you know, you are a, you know, you actually doing, um, you're a good, you operator and that you can, you know, hopefully meet all those returns that you have, uh, you know, projected in your, in your, um, in your deal analysis. That's great. That's great. And what did you have learned um, from investing in, how many multifamily have invested in the beginning, multifamily? Uh, How
1: many multifamily units Uh, did, did we have?
0: Yeah. Yeah, invested in
1: Hearthfire specifically or me personally
0: uh you you personally
1: yeah so i mean i personally i'm invested in i i still have like 24 units or something like that now i think um okay. personally but that's that's all been in partnerships that was you know has been in progress since 2018 so okay. added to that strategically but um never really had any big multi-units personally but my family had 130 that i had the pleasure of um, getting to manage the P&L and oversee the CapEx cycles and mm-hmm. understand all the fun that comes with that.
0: Yeah. So so you can see that definitely multifamily has a lot more moving parts than self-storage. <laughs> yeah. And it's a lot more harder for asset management and operational excellence in multifamily, especially when COVID-19 hit, it was hard to get the delinquencies and the payments on the, on the tenants.
1: Yeah. I mean, with self-storage, we were super fortunate. There was no you know, eviction moratoriums. I mean, it's lean law. So if we decided to get, you know, people weren't paying, it was like, Hey, pay or, you know, we're going to sell your stuff and you're going to be out of here. You get to sell people's stuff. Can you imagine if you went in a multifamily apartment complex, sold people's stuff to go and make, you know, good on the background and just left the rest of it like in the trash? I I can't even imagine.
0: Yeah. I mean, I I wish we can do that, but we don't have that kind of authority to do that for for, for rent, rent rent laws, tenant laws, no. but yes. No, that's great. That's why I love, you know, I love what, like you do, I love self-storage um, and I do both, asset I do multifamily and self-storage um, and I know the two sides of the coin and uh, yeah, so that, that's great and uh, it's wonderful how you you um, you have 24 units in an apartment building and how many uh, you have vested in self-storage and how many units you have now in self-storage?
1: Uh, in self-storage, we are currently um, controlling about 410,000 net rentable. Uh, square feet uh, from a unit standpoint it's i i think it's like somewhere in the three thousand range on on unit account
0: yeah okay, wow that's very impressive that's very impressive mark i'm very impressed with that that's a that's a big number that's a large portfolio um that's very impressive yeah um, thank you because yeah, normally you see people like but a small little you know 100 units here and there and then they slowly scale out and you guys think- yeah i mean
1: it's important you got to get the right site size though i mean you know a lot of these like if a hundred unit facility i mean hard part is all the costs that it takes to operate it. So does it, the economies of scale aren't there. You know what
0: yes. I mean? Yes. Yes. That's what you want. That's why the multifamily, you want by larger scale. So you have more scalability in terms of terms of the size. Right. Right. Well, that's great. And um, you're looking at expansion. Talk about your expansion. Um, you buying one existing right now and you want to expand because you have, you have land to expand. Is that correct?
1: Correct. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, expansion is all about not just can you expand, but does it make sense to expand? Because- If you expand a facility that, you know, let's just say you have a facility and it's 60% physically occupied, to go and add, you know, another 10,000, 20,000, 30,000 square feet to that, you're just going to, you know, rub salt in an already gaping wound. So you need to make sure there's the right amount of supply in the market, there's the right amount of demand in the market. And that, you know, if you add additional supply, you're not going to create additional surplus of supply, which is going to drive down pricing.
0: Right. So a feasibility is very critical to understand the demand analysis and unit mix optimization. So you should get that done study so that you know if you know, that really needs any demand there. It doesn't need a demand and you're, then you're oversupplied basically in those scenarios. So that's great. That's wonderful. And so what, what advice would you give our listeners that you know see your success and how your company grew so, so in leaps and bounds? What, what advice would you give someone listening to, the, to this podcast?
1: Don't be impressed by how quick people can grow. I mean, focus on your race, run your race and, you know, just keep working to get better. Cause sometimes people grow really quickly and it looks good from the outside, but if you grow on a shaky foundation, it's no good. So take the time to build a good foundation. Don't worry about comparing yourself to others and run your race.
0: But well, it's a very valuable advice. I really love that advice because it's very true. Cause I've seen one person on my podcast, Mike Moroso, and he tried to share this with everyone that he tried to grow so quickly multifamily. Bought a I think a 46 unit and then 1,600 units like in two years, but he couldn't handle it. He could, he had no team. It wasn't adequate, and he at the end when a Great Depression uh, came in, he, he collapsed basically because he was, wasn't doing well. So that's very good advice. So do at your own race. Don't look at people who seem like they're very successful when they close, but then reality, you know, an insider that they're hurting because it wasn't really fully stabilized, and you, you need a, a, a strong team to be able to handle that kind of workforce pressure, basically that systems, right? Optimize it. Great. So what um, are you, do you, you, like reading any books or books you, you read?
1: Yeah. So I just actually finished up a book, um, the psychology of money, which uh, was written by a guy by the name of Morgan Housel. And mm-hmm. I found that book to be fascinating. Um, if you're at all interested in investing, I, I was, that that book is one of the best books I've read in a long time. And it was just good. I mean, that book can be with anybody. You don't have to be a business owner you know, from the person who's working at an entry-level, you know, cashier job to somebody who's making, you know, who's a CEO in a Fortune 500 company, it's a it was a great book. Great,
0: awesome, awesome. So, what are you, What are your plans now in your company, um, for Hardfire? You guys plan to acquire more, expand more? What's your, what's on your horizon this year?
1: So, the plans never been to not acquire. Um, that being said, we're looking to acquire the right way. And with all of the volatility with the debt markets and with, you know, everything that's going on with Ukraine, we're trying to figure out how to price in the the interest rates and also take a look at the overall phase that we're at within the economic cycle to really conservatively evaluate the proper cap rated exit. So many people, you know, everyone's been living a fantasy world of compressing cap rates for the last, I don't know, six, seven years. If you bought anything over the last six, seven years, you could have gone and come out smelling like roses, no matter how poorly you operated it. It's the truth. Mm -hmm. So we're trying to really figure out how to, you know, conservatively underwrite both debt and cap rate, because those are your two biggest levers, you know, in a commercial deal mm-hmm. yes. and and how to really accurately reflect what a what a quality return should look like and a quality project should look like
0: yeah and these days it's getting harder and harder because we see a lot of cap rates at very low cap rates the price is insane um many best and final offers and they'll pay above the asking price so it's it's kind of like multifamily. It's been very heated even self-storage um it's very difficult to get good real good deals that that you know that pencils very well right i mean i think yeah so. No, we're running
1: into the same issue i mean trying to find deals that pencil i mean there's been so much liquidity that's been created you got so many 1031 exchanges you got people selling facilities and trading up to bigger facilities and there's just a lot of dumb money floating around and or you know the money that was printed by the government the people who are super wealthy you know that played their cards right just went and used it as a springboard to become even more wealthy yeah so yeah. we're kind of like we're kind of in a—I don't want to say we're in a holding pattern, but we're definitely treading very cautiously in our underwriting and our acquisitions to make sure that we're not the idiot that left without a chair when the music stops. So, trying to let the the stupid burn off a little bit here and um, see how things, how the markets react to you know the war and how um you know where we're really at with respect to liquidity and in the economy with respect to you know recession.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Great, great, Mark. Great. So, everyone wants to reach out to you. How to reach out to you, Mark?
1: Yeah, the best way is uh, investing with mark.com. Mark is spelled with a K. And um, I'll take you right to our website contact form, set up a time to talk.
0: Okay, great. Well, thank you very much, Mark. Come on, show. I appreciate
1: it. Awesome. Thanks, Jonathan.
0: Thanks for listening. For more information, you can find us online at www.graystonecapgroup.com. Check back weekly for new episodes. See you again next time.